Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myles, and in this podcast, we typically look at the ancient stories of Scripture and ponder anew their meaning for today. But in these weeks approaching Christmas, sometimes called Advent in the church, I would like to ponder some ancient and some modern uh, Christmas songs and use them as a way to get into the Christmas story and also, of course, then get into Scripture. So I'd be curious what songs are really important for you, um, for your family, for the faith community, for the church that you're a part of. Like, for instance, I know that uh, I think the people in my congregation like me, but if I didn't play Silent Night for Christmas, ooh, we, we, I could be in a lot of trouble. So what songs... Um, and I guess they could be secular too, but really I'm thinking here religious songs. What religious songs uh, about Christmas are really meaningful uh, for you and your life? Well, to begin reflecting on some of these hymns and the theology and, again, scripture connection and relevance for life behind them, I want to start with the granddaddy of them all. Not in terms of uh, modern 21st century American popularity, but actually in terms of age. Savior of the nations, come, virgin son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, God has chosen such a birth. You may not have heard this song before. It's not the most popular. However, when you've been around for 1,700 years, um, you tend not to be concerned about your popularity in any decade or even every 25 or even every 50 years because you've stood the test of time. That's right, this song has been around since the late 300s. And before I get into uh, the writer, the theological significance of it, its biblical ties, I, I just want us to sit with that for a second. This song, again, has been sung by Christians um, in various countries all around the world for 1,700 years. And sometimes in our own context in America in the 21st century, or at least where I'm at, there can be a ton of agitation and fear that the secularization process in America is moving from ambivalent to hostile to Christianity. And that this seems to not bother Americans for 11 months of the year, but then often, you know, at Christmas, this becomes like a real fiery issue. And um, it often boils down uh, to things, you know, around how people say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or something. And, you know, the reality is, just practically speaking, I don't see how getting mad at somebody for saying Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas is going to uh, lead to the re-Christianization of people's hearts. Um, but more than that, this is just a humbling reminder. This song survived 1,700 years. Numerous wars, schisms in the church, um, and, and somehow it's, it's still being sung. And I think it's a, it's a helpful reminder that, yeah, you know, th- there are processes at work in our society that um, we're becoming a more secular society. There are ways in which um, parts of the culture are moving from ambivalent to hostile to uh, 
to Christianity. I would agree, and you know, it may be that, for instance, in the future, that the way the way that um, you know, like Easter break now and spring break don't always align for my children. It may be that in the future, a winter break doesn't always align with Christmas Eve and Christmas. I mean, even now, my kids have had school. I think even one year, maybe even on Christmas Eve, or at least a half day or something. So, yeah, there could be massive secularization processes at work, but. The song of the church, the song of faithful believers uh, rejoicing that uh, God has not given up on this world, but God has chosen in Jesus Christ to be born among us, and that there's this mysterious and beautiful event called the incarnation of, of God in Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, the song of that isn't going to, to go away. And I think it, um, so my challenge, I think, for all of us then is if our our world is becoming um, more secular, in what ways can we practice Christmas? Can we do Christmas in a way that not our anger about cultural wars being lost, but rather our joy at the incarnation and our joy at the birth of the Savior can be communicated? Again, how can we practice Christmas in a way? How can music do this as well for us? That our our witness to the world is not our anger that uh, the world has become less Christian, but rather our joy that God has chosen to become one of us in Jesus Christ. It is fitting, though, that we should be talking about uh, evangelism or sharing our faith um, when thinking about this particular hymn, because it was written by a man named Ambrose. And Ambrose uh, was living at a time when uh, the empire had just officially become uh, Christian, but there were many people who weren't Christian. Um, and, and so it's sort of this mixture of pagans and Christians uh, in the world in which he lived. And he was actually a Roman governor who uh, wasn't yet sort of fully a Christian. And he goes to this meeting, though, where they need to elect a bishop. And there was this... Um, this sort of division within Christianity at that time, and I'm going to get into that later, but he goes to this meeting, and basically everybody there thinks he's the one for the job because he's such, uh, it's clear which sort of side of this argument he's on, but they see him as a charitable spirit, and then and the people who uh, he disagrees with thinks, okay, like, this guy could be a fair leader. So he goes to this meeting to try to figure out who should be bishop. And instead they say to him, you should be bishop. And he says, well, yeah, the problem with that is that I'm not even baptized and I'm not a priest. Uh, Well, it turns out they ultimately prevail upon him. And uh, he is a human who in one week gets baptized, uh, ordained as a priest and consecrated as a bishop all all in a week's time. Um, and there's lots of other fascinating stories about um, Ambrose and just the, the combination of um, boldness of spirit, yet charity of heart, and uh, just clarity of thought. Again, one of those rare humans that brings together compassion, um, courage, and, and, um, and clarity of thought. So I could go on about him for a while, but what, what I want to do now is... Um, Oh, one more thing, too. He actually is really influential in helping to bring about the conversion of Augustine, who becomes this other major theologian. So again, um, Ambrose is is somebody who, um, yeah, Ambrose is somebody who has a real spirit of, of sharing the faith.
And before I get into the actual uh, lyrics of, of what he says, I, I want to go back to, the, to Scripture and, and think about the Christmas story in Scripture. I need to kind of do a little review here. There are uh, four Gospels. And it actually turns out that right around the time that Ambrose was born, there was a thing called the Council of Nicaea. And that's when they decide what books or what letters uh, that were in use in the early church uh, are actually going to be in the Bible. And just to make things abundantly clear, there was never any question about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels or biographies that we have of Jesus. Again, there was never any doubt. These were really uh, widely used, and uh, now even as we have more evidence later, they were also used early on by the church, um, giving strong credence to the thought that uh, they they were um, the apostles of Jesus, those who knew Jesus, were really formative in writing or in, in having those stories that were then written down. There's a fifth, there's another gospel out there called the Gospel of Thomas, and that might sort of be the most uh, valid outside of the original four, but um, just imagine the original four gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is sort of like Mercury, Venus, Earth, and and Mars, and then like the Gospel of Thomas is kind of like Pluto, and the rest of the Gospels you read about late at night, they're like our conspiracy theories, like the Gospel of Peter, Gospel of Judas, they're just like these asteroid belts even further out. They're, they just never had the same gravity. They didn't impact and capture the imagination of the early uh, Christians. Anyway, so we have these four Gospels, and uh, of the four, um, there are uh, only in two of them do we really hear the stuff that we associate with Christmas, such as angels and shepherds and uh, magi or wise men, um, Mary, Joseph, all that stuff really only happens in Matthew and Luke. One of the Gospels, Mark, picks up with Jesus's life when he's much older, but the Gospel of John takes a real cosmic perspective. Right? The Gospel of John takes a step back. And what the Gospel of John says it starts out and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want to unpack for you why that is so brilliant, and then I'm going to tie it back to this hymn, and then I'll tie it back to our lives. What's so brilliant here is that in, in the Jewish thinking, in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, there's this thing called the Word of God. And the Word of God is the thing through which the world was created. God said, let it be, right? The Word is, is drive, the Word of God drives creation. And the, the Word of God is what speaks to the people. It speaks to the people words of law and also words of promise. Uh, the Word of God, in fact, if you really pay careful attention to the Old Testament, you notice whenever the Word of God is there, God is, is also fully present. So, so there's this sense that there's this thing called the Word of God in the Old Testament that is so associated with God, God's revelatory or God's way of communicating with the people. In classic Greek thought, though, there's something called the Logos. And uh, you might know this word from all of our biology, theology, any of those L-O-G-Y words. They come from this Logos, message, words. But within uh, Greek philosophy, the Logos is this uh, sort of the binding principle of the universe, sort of the creative, yeah, 
organizing principle of the universe, almost something like, almost like a Star Wars idea of the force. And so what John does here in John's gospel is he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word there is actually logos in Greek. And in so doing, he, he finds a way to appeal and to resonate with, with people who grew up in the Jewish tradition, but also the people that didn't grow up in the Jewish tradition, right? Those to whom this message about Jesus would need to be reaching out. There's something um, profoundly, um, again, which is brilliant, um, but also, again, speaking to multiple audiences here. And, and what John figures out a way to do is say, look, in the beginning was this organizing principle of the universe, and this was with God, and in fact, this was God. And then John goes on and says, this is the thing through which the universe was made. Well, at that point, he sort of has everybody who's uh, Jewish and everybody who's into Greek philosophy, he has them all coming with him. But then what he does, uh, then he moves on in, in verse f- uh, 14 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's going to now present, beautifully summarize, um, blow the mind and say that this generative principle of the universe, the thing through which God has created the heavens and the earth, has in fact become a human. Uh, And he puts it uh, beautifully and actually language that is laced with further scriptural meaning, dwelt among us, playing on this idea from the book of Exodus, actually, where where God dwells, tents among the ancient people in the wilderness. Um, Again, John here brings together all sorts of of New Testament and philosophical ideas, uh, and he puts it so simply, yet it's just so complicated what does this mean that, that God dwells among us? That the infinite, that the source, again, of all generative life in the universe took on human flesh. Well, this has always been a mystery. Something that every gospel writer, every book in the New Testament tries to get at, that somehow Jesus is God and Jesus is man. And what, what often happened is that when people thought about this, that Jesus was somehow divine and somehow human, the, the mixture kind of became a demigod. And that's something that actually the Greco-Roman mind was very familiar with. Like there's all sorts of demigods, Hercules, uh, Perseus, and, and so forth. And so Jesus sort of in the Greco-Roman world very quickly becomes a demigod. Or even sometimes within the Jewish worldview, because God was so holy, it was hard to imagine that God could actually, you know, the, the ineffable, the sublime, you know, sort of the, the perfect could actually become a human, could become mortal. And so there arose in the first couple centuries of the church in, in various forms. Um, and I, Nestorianism is one of them, Arianism, which is not related to race, but this guy named Arius. There arose these parties, these factions, what we would later call uh, heresies from the Greek for, again, a faction, who would say, no, Jesus was just a demigod. And Ambrose was one of those who said, no, Jesus isn't a demigod. Uh, Jesus is fully God, and that's what we actually hear when when we hear the the hymns that he is doing. He says in the second verse here of his hymn, "Not by human flesh and blood, but by the Spirit of our God was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring pure and fresh." 
Here a maid was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. So those two things, the word of God made flesh, that, that it's God, the, the fullness of God somehow in, in the belly of, of Mary. So this, this mystery here, this awesome thing, Ambrose clearly wants to say, look, it's not a demigod. It's fully God and fully human. In fact, even in the fourth verse, he even goes back and he says, Thus step forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, God of God, yet fully man. Okay, so again, Ambrose here is saying, Jesus isn't a demigod. Jesus is fully God and fully human. What I want to offer, though, that Ambrose is doing here by putting it in song is he's not writing a theological treatise about it. He's not trying to unpack all the Greek or Hebrew words and what they all mean, or in his case, what they mean in Latin, because that's the language he spoke. What, what rather he's doing is he's, he's putting it in poetry. He's putting it in poetry, and as he said in the first verse, and this is the one that I sang and I'd want you to remember, it's, Marvel now, O heaven and earth, the, the Lord chose such a birth. Marvel at it. Ambrose is somebody who says, look, that, you know, we, we have this theology, or this doctrine, this teaching that kind of helps guide us, but ultimately this is a mystery. This is a mystery that God chooses to take on human flesh. This is a, a mystery of how God did it, again, of why God did it. What does this mean for Jesus to be fully God and fully human? Yeah, all the writers of the Gospels and all Christians ever since have kind of been, been wondering this a bit. My hope is that as we think then about this Christmas, we can be invited by Ambrose and others into the mystery. One of the reasons why I think the song is not as popular as others is because right now in the 21st century, Americans don't like singing sad or minor key songs at Christmas. <laughs> Right? We don't want sad Christmas. Um, but, but I think there's something, there's a reason why this hymn, century after century, and they could change the, the tune to it. They keep it in this sort of mysterious kind of um, pre-medieval kind of chant uh, from Latin. And, and that's because it's supposed to, again, be mysterious and kind of inviting us into the mystery. So I, I hope that you are invited this, this Christmas, um, this Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, into the mystery and I hope you can find a way to invite others into the mystery. My sense is that at Christmas, um, the world is not suddenly curious about Jesus because it wants the answer to everything or all doctrine, but I think the world is hungry for mystery and enchantment once again. And may we find a way through song and, and through what we do in our lives to invite others into that mystery. And this has uh, been fun to play around with this hymn a little bit. Um, if you have any other hymns you want us to, to look at in the next couple of weeks, uh, yeah, email, call, text, whatever, get a hold of me, and uh, we'll take a look at them. From God's heart the Savior speeds, back to God his pathway leads, out to vanquish death's command, back to reign at God's right hand. 